Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, back with the death lineup. But before we get to the show, just want to let folks know that we do have a new podcast in this feed called We Want Winners. Myself and Roderick Adams will be back after the 49ers and Seahawks this weekend, probably about, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes after the game is over. And we'll do a live stream talking about that game. And then we will put that audio in the podcast feed at BS. PN. All right, so let's talk about what's going on in the world of Warriors basketball. Actually, you know where I want to start. You did a pretty cool interview the other day, and that I think it got pushed out. I think you put it out today, right? Yeah. So who was the interview with, and how did you guys even get it? Uh, so the interview was with John Krasinski uh, of The Athletic. He He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. And my buddy Obi literally just slid in his DMs and asked him to be on the pod. And he was very, he was down and he was very cool about it. And, you know, he shouted us out. And I told him that um, if he travels, because he doesn't, I asked him if he travels with the team, um, if he travels for away games. And he said sometimes, but I told him if he ends up in Golden State, if he ends up in the Bay Area, you know, I'll, I'll dinner on me just to continue <laughs> to pr- pick his brain because he, he was kind of on a time limit. And so, uh, I didn't get to ask all the questions I wanted to, and I'll get to do that if I get to see him again. So, what'd you guys talk about? All Timberwolves. But one of the questions that I wanted to ask was that was that Wiggins for D'Lo trade. <laughs> uh huh. Like, because I think we all know who the winner was in the trade. There's really no, there's no way you can look at it with saying that like the Timberwolves won the trade. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask him, like, you know, he's been covering Andrew Wiggins for so long, and we've heard the whole like. You know, he's really looks like an all-star for five games and then for 15 games, he just disappears. So I wanted to ask him, like, did Wiggins really need a change of scenery to become useful? Or is he on the Warriors? Is he just the same thing? And it's just getting outshadowed by all the other good things that are going for us. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. And it's always cool when you get to talk to somebody who's a little bit in the know, not only about the team, but I mean, the guy, you know, I he does podcasts as well. He does interviews. So from that perspective, it's always cool to talk to a professional. So glad that you guys, uh, glad that you guys are able to do that. Hopefully uh, maybe bring him on another time. And he seemed to be very happy with how it went. And he uh, 
put all of you guys over on Twitter. So that was cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, totally. Okay. So let's talk about some of this stuff that's going on. And I guess the place where I want to start is this in-season tournament that has been rumored. Uh, Shams, he had a tweet, and, and I'll bring the tweet up here, to set the framework for what is being discussed. And it's not for this year. It would be for next year. And I guess the WNBA does something very similar. Uh, and I have the rules of how the WNBA does it. And, and we'll look at that in a second. But what, like this didn't really explain anything to me. So he's, he wrote current framework uh, as soon as 23-24. Cup games through November. Eight teams advance to single elimination final in December with 22 uh, other 22 continue with regular season. All games part of normal 82-game schedule. One extra for two final teams. What are cup games? <laughs> like, There's no explanation about what, what this is. I was very confused with this tweet, and I searched and searched and searched, and I couldn't really find any good information about what is going on. Did you take anything away from what is being discussed? From that specific tweet, there's really nothing. Um, I've heard that it's like all the players who, who win get like a million dollars. And like, yeah, Lester Quinones is like jumping up and down <laughs> going nuts. But Steph was about to become a billionaire with a lifetime deal with Under Armour. Like that doesn't do nothing. So I'm just interested on one, how they're going to incentivize it because you like you want the players to be really interested in this. Like you want them to really try for it. And I've been hearing ideas and I've been floating ideas in my head, but I haven't come to a a good one yet in my opinion but you know i think that's the main thing what does this imply for the regular season is this something like does this help your playoff odds or you know or, and then what how can you incentivize it for players to actually give a f yeah the incentives are tough because like you said someone like steph it's it would be one fiftieth of his salary you know, to win a million bucks, but it could, you know, there, there's some fun in, in doing it for some of the younger guys who uh, are maybe on a two way or something. I think charity is a pretty big deal, but all of these players have different charities they support. So I don't know how you would be able to do that. And then with the charity thing too, is like they do that with the all-star game where we could see quarters one through three is like nothing still, you know? Yeah. Um, could you, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, 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 there, there are opportunities, I guess, for sponsorships, and maybe there can be actually more money than just mm -hmm. the, the million. But yeah, they're going to have to get creative, and whoever's the big brain with the marketing is going to have to come up with something very interesting in order to make this happen. You so, know what? I want to know what I thought of before I immediately shot it down. It pro I probably sat on it for like a night. And then I kind of thought about it some more and I was like, ah, oh, that probably doesn't work. You know how super maxes are, there's requirements. It has to do with like all NBA team uh -huh. odds. I think, I think that's how you get a super max. Like what if the winning team, you know, the, the, the best player or something was out then eligible if he wasn't eligible already, but then you could say like, well, then who would, what, what, what does it matter to the guys who won or already eligible Two already have it. And three, you know, let's say Donovan Mitchell, becomes eligible to get Supermax after winning this in-season tournament, then is he going to care next year? And what about the teams? Like, why would Steve Kerr want to put his players through the rigor in this 
early season tournament, knowing that, you know, April, May, and June is what counts for the Warriors. Yeah, no, they're going to have to, they're going to have to make, do some like, imp, do something that helps benefit for uh, the, the getting to the playoffs. Like Slater floated a guaranteed playoff spot, like a six seed. But then what's stopping a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves from just sitting Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert from February to June? Yep. Yep. That That is definitely the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, well, maybe you get, you know, to go over the salary cap or something if you win this tournament. What about an extra home game? Like, mm-hmm. what about home? What if you get the home? Not Not that the one seed gets oh but then what does the one seed care yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know i I don't well you know how the baseball playoffs are happening for the wild card do you know do you see how that works the three wild cards yeah so you know the first series is a three game series Mm -hmm. and that the two teams that get the bye they don't have to play but Mm -hmm. the other six teams who are involved they have to play i think if i'm not mistaken the home team hosts every game. Like there's no there you don't go to the other team's park or something like that. So I wonder if you could, you know, flip it instead of a you know, you, you would get the but then you know the, but then if you do that and you get five home games out of the seven, then you have teams losing to try to get out of the like it there's like no real mm. right way to gimmick this whole thing, which is why I think it's a little weird. But I, I don't know. Does the regular season need something like I think it does. Does it? I feel like the regular season, it's like, I mean, there's no way you could ever do it how football does it. But football is just always perfect because it's just one game a week. But I feel yeah. like there's there's just this big time period where why should you care? Right. And and I, I will always care. But to the average fan, like, what does it matter that? X team is playing at X team on TNT on Friday night. But don't um, we don't we already have sort of built in special events like season starts in October and then we get to Christmas and Christmas is like the big day. So you got opening day, mm-hmm. opening night, then you got Christmas. And then I, I think it's more so uh, from Christmas to All-Star, All-Star game where maybe there's a little bit of a malaise and maybe all-star to the playoffs, there's a little bit of a malaise. I don't know if we need something in October or November to kick off the season. Um, and, and also there's something around, you know, guys in the beginning of the season uh, really pushing them super hard in, in super important games might not be the best thing either. So they have a lot to consider to work this thing out. But the way that it's been communicated i don't really see too much of a benefit but i was i was reading up on how the WNBA does the commissioner's cup so the so i'm reading directly from the WNBA website the commissioner's cup uh is an annual in-season competition which features 61 games this year 10 designated regular season cup games first home game and first road game against conference opponents with a prize pool of 500k in the championship game and at least 165k in charitable donations throughout this year's series. At the end of Commissioner's Cup play, the team with the highest winning percentage in each conference will face off in the championship game 
new this year. The commission, the championship game will take place at the home venue. And so if we go back to what Choms wrote, if you go to this championship game in this, whatever this in-season tournament is going to be called, you actually have to play an extra game. You have 83 games instead of 82 games Mm -hmm. for the season. So are are these players (laughs) like, you know, the everything is based around an 82 game season, their paychecks, right? So they get another game added to that check, or is it just this is what the season is and this is what your salary is? And you know, the other thing is for the the WNBA way that they're doing it, the first home game and first road game against conference opponents are the designated season cup games. So if the Warriors are at home against the Lakers, and that's their first cup game, and then they're on the road against the Clippers, and that's their second cup game, and then the Pistons come to town, are they just like, eh, this game doesn't matter. We're just playing our entire bench, and this isn't a cup game, so who cares? That could be weird, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just, there's not the best way. Like, I've heard draft picks as an incentive but why do the players care about that like how can you find a way for you know it to benefit the team and the players extra 15 million dollars like 15 million dollars uh it doesn't count against your luxury tax but why does the players why do the players care yeah just got to find a way for them to care yeah so i before i say no like i I don't want to be like a no on it but before I'm like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Like, I just need more information. Because yeah, the information be- that we have right now is not great. And then we're just we don't we don't even know if what we're thinking is correct, anyways. Yeah. And I mean, I could be convinced. I don't really feel a specific way about it, but you know, I just care. Like if if I get to see, I'd rather not be in October and and like you said, f- find a way to put it between, you know, February and April or Christmas and February just to get another thing in there. But uh, I think I think it could be cool if if the players are really trying. Like I will want to watch, so they just need to find a way to make them do it. All right. So you read through this uh, Steph Curry interview on the, in the Rolling Stone, and here's the the photo again. We're we're showing this for for the video folks. Um, what was I guess what would be the what's the most interesting thing? that you learned in that interview the uh, the, the uh, interviewer or the author of the piece was was Matt Sullivan who works for Rolling Stone previously worked for the New York Post and uh, has written a book so i guess he inst- i don't i don't know what the relationship is between the two of them but i guess he followed Steph around and did like five different interviews to piece this thing together sounds like he did more than Under Armour did for Steph this summer <laughs> <laughs> um I think I think some of the interesting things is is like, you know, we know Steph is like is like a cocky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he like presents himself and not in that way unless he like really gets going. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not surprised when he gets cocky, but like it still is a little bit like, oh shit, like I forgot that this guy, you know, kind of has that to him. But I think another interesting thing was I didn't know a business partner like cheated him. Like how that happened to the um, like Rihanna and how that happened yeah, to like, oh yeah. like LeVar Ball, I think, as well. I didn't know that happened to him. I thought that was pretty shocking. Um, yeah, that, that hasn't been out there. I mean, I haven't heard it. 
But yeah. they, they were mentioning they were using that as an example of when he has gotten really mad. Like they're talking mm-hmm. about this temper that he has. The what did they call it? Like Wardell mode or something? Yeah, I didn't. Like I've never heard that. The normal calm demeanor. <laughs> well, you know, you know who uses Wardell uh, is uh, the Marcus. Uh, well, yeah, Marcus uses his name, but um, don't the Light Years guys use Wardell like to like to describe like a different version of Steph? I, don't, oh, I, I maybe maybe I've got. Well, I mean, because I, 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 I just read Marcus's book, and almost each chapter is like a different version of Steph that you're learning mm-hmm. about. And I want to say mm-hmm. Wardell was in there, but I don't know if I don't know if it was for the purpose that Rolling Stone was using it for. Yeah, I think the thing that I was most interested in. Well, there were the Kevin Durant comments, right? Where yeah, that's what that's what caught the media's attention. Yeah, or, that's like, what went around the media, which is mm-hmm. the idea that Steph was down. 100% to play with Durant. And I think it's pretty like for him to say that, he also knows how hard it would have been to trade for him. Uh and so there's not a whole lot of risk for him to say that, but I, I want to believe that he truly loved those 3 years cuz it's like the best basketball that We'll ever see. see. Well, well, so so you you go back to uh, Showtime Lakers and that era of the Celtics. I'm sure those fan bases see that time as like the best. And then obviously the Bulls have two different uh, three three peats, and their fans probably see those as the best. But you know the way that they played basketball and and just the attention that those teams had, like it was it was nuts. It almost feels like. It almost feels like it was like so long ago, but really it's not like it's only like three years ago. Uh, but I, I really like the idea that Steph and Katie get along and Steph seems to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he says, you know, he's a little bit misunderstood. There's a little bit of a trust thing there with him. But ultimately, you know, he he he's a team guy and X, Y and Z. So I thought mm. that was cool. And obviously that's what the the sports writers or the bloggers are going to run with but the thing that i thought was most interesting and they used this name twice so somebody's got so somebody either uh i kind of wonder if tiger woods stiffed steph in some way because there was two separate comments in this piece about how steph has done more for minority golfers (laughs) than Tiger Woods has ever done. So I, I found that to be like, wow, like what did Tiger do to you guys? <laughs> um, because, you know, Tiger's the most famous golfer to ever play. Yeah. And he's one of the, the greatest or one of the greatest golfers, whatever, you know, whatever you, however you want to describe that, who has ever played. And you would think that on that level, Steph and Tiger, not say that they would be friends. I'm sure they're, quite different people if you know the tiger woods story tiger woods a little bit closer to like the 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 michael jordan personality than uh, the steph personality i would think but it just struck me as really weird that tiger gets pulled into this thing in two (laughs) different quotes as if he just you know as it sort of is like oh yeah you know tiger's the one who should have the most influence but here's this basketball player who's got the most influence and I'm sure yeah. Tiger has done his stuff. I, I just found that part interesting because Steph's not a golfer. Steph is a basketball player. Um, the I, other thing that I liked though, was the Obama stuff in the beginning. Like that was, that pretty was cool. cool. That, that was, was pretty cool. funny. 
and and you know Steph is uh he's a Christian. Um, he has a liberal stance on a lot of things, which is kind of an interesting, you know, uh, disposition for him. Uh, and you know, there was the thing about that he said he he would like to take this moment back when in North Carolina there was the issue with the bathrooms. And he had made the statement that, you know, I hope that we can still play in North, you know, in, in Charlotte for the all-star game, which was a little uh, deaf to the, yeah. the reality of the situation. Right. And so he, he admitted like, yeah, I wish I could take that one back because I needed to know more about what I was talking about, which yeah. is a thing, right? Like, and, and, and the reason why I think it's the reason why I wanted to talk about this with you is because, of your school upbringing, right? Like you had a lot of that in, in your upbringing. And I, I, I imagine what you think about those learnings, you sort of use them, but you also look at them from a different mindset as an adult now versus when you were, you know, a school child or even in high school. Yeah. Um, I personally feel like I fell a little deaf to like some of the agendas that the Christian school was trying to push on me. I, I don't know. I just wasn't even totally paying attention to the academics to begin with. So I wasn't paying attention to the agendas they were trying to push. But I thought that it was interesting in the article. You know, they start with Obama. They kind of start with politics. And it kind of felt like 60% of the article was mm-hmm. a politics, right? And I feel like it's interesting to see how religion is playing into some of his beliefs. Because that wasn't the only thing that I feel like religion caused him to be deaf to a situation or maybe want to take a situation back, but he hasn't said he wants to take this back yet, but Mm -hmm. he says he's neither pro-choice nor Mm pro-life. And I thought that was interesting. He chose not to speak on the Roe v. Wade thing. Um, And I do agree that I feel like athletes are like, like athletes are like expected to Mm -hmm. say something and use their platform when something happens and I'm not necessarily sure if I agree with that or not, that they should be like forced to, or feel like the need that they have to, because I feel like sometimes athletes, at least in, in the, in my Twitter sphere, you know, it's mainly sports. I feel like athletes are held to a higher standard than some of the damn politicians we have in our country. If Mm -hmm. they don't say something or if they say the wrong thing, or if LeBron actually doesn't read a book when he says he does read a book, like, why is that a bigger deal than (laughs) Ted Cruz saying that guns should continue to be legal or some, or whatever the hell that statement was. But Anyways, I, I, I do agree with Steph in that aspect where it's like, shit, does he really have to say something about everything? But I feel like I feel like that statement, I'm neither pro-choice nor pro-life, is it seems like a combatant of the religion playing a part into politics. And the fact that his mom had an abortion right before he was born, right? Yep. Yep. So that that's another wrinkle to that thing. Um, you doing podcasts on the sports sphere, you probably don't feel the need to um, feel. You you probably don't feel like you need to be up to date on a lot of the the political things that are going on because you're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm doing sports stuff. That's kind of what I need to know. And I remember being in class with uh, one of my professors, my radio uh, professor. And he was just like, you just have, you have to be aware of everything. Like 
you have to be aware of politics and religion and world history and uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Now, I'm not saying that I know everything about all of those things either, but I do attempt to know what's going on from a, uh, you know, maybe back in the day it was newspapers, you'd kind of read up on, on stuff. And now it's, you know, we're getting most of our news through podcasts or through websites that we follow or or whatever. But that is a thing for Steph that he probably didn't think that he needed to know when he came into the NBA because the world changed, right? So many things happened in the world. And then he felt he had to be more updated and have a more worldly view and have an opinion because somebody was going to ask him about it. And we see it with Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr has a sharp uh, political mind. Like I think it's, it's funny because the folks that Trump goes after uh, this, you know, this is years ago, but those folks that he went after were really people who knew more about the subject than he did. And, you know, when, when Trump was spewing out some of the things that he did, he uses an interesting tactic of, of sort of being attacking. And when somebody is attacked, they get defensive and then they have to sort of defend being attacked. And it kind of takes them away from their point of view. Mm-hmm. Kerr is not as famous as Donald Trump, but he has a public stage and he has a public forum. Steph Curry, I don't uh, Twitter follower for Twitter follower or whatever. He's probably just as or more famous than Donald Trump. So he doesn't have to be defensive in any way. He could focus on what the thing is and then move on. Whereas the Trump trick is to get people to react mm-hmm. uh, very emotionally and then fight like and, and then be uncivil. Whereas Steph and Steve Kerr, they're like, yeah, I, I get it. I know what he's doing. And here's what we're going to say. Boom. And then they move on. And so they have that platform to be able to speak in that way. And it's been cool to see them speak in that way. Uh, I don't know. The, 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 who, who knows that I, I sort of got a sense of does Steph want to get into politics. Mm-hmm. Is this something that he's interested in or does he like being influential with his voice and his brand to back the people that, that he really believes in that that's also how he can do it as well. He doesn't have to actually be a politician. I thought it was interesting also how he said, I think he said like the Dem that whoever the democratic nominee is should, you know, be as attacking as Trump was or kind of match his energy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think the the Michelle Obama line was when they go low, we go high, which a lot of people took as the, you know, why are we letting them bully us kind of thing? So it the, all, all that stuff is very interesting. And it's just, it's essentially like, I just see it as like public relations or, or, or marketing. Like it's, it's just like, you know, just one person marketing themselves in a way and people, people will bite or people will have an opinion or whatever. Um, all right. I didn't mean for it to, to delve completely into, into politics, but like you said, that was a big piece of the article. So it was like 60% of it. Uh, definitely read it. Take a look. Uh, Steph is, I, I wouldn't say he's completely an open book, but I was surprised at a lot of the things that he decided to talk about. So it, it was a good look at him. Agreed. Okay. So uh, last thing that I kind of wanted to hit 
Um, we'll we'll probably have a little bit more of an interesting show as far as the actual team is concerned because next week when we do this show will be a couple of days before they open up camp and we should talk about somebody who I don't even, I don't even know a whole lot about his game um Dante DiVincenzo and I'm kind of interested in what you think or what you expect out of the guy that I'm not even going to call Dante DiVincenzo. I'm just going to call him the big ragu for the entire year. But what do you what are you expecting from him as a uh off the bench guard playmaker shooter? He's going to have to play some defense, but is it do you have high expectations for how he's going to fit in with the team? Uh yes. Yes, I think. I think that uh, you know we've we've mentioned Jamichael Green uh, yes. as the. I think I've mentioned before how the Warriors wanted Patty Mills, how the Warriors wanted Nick Batum, but they end up with Otto Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone else I forget, but Jerry Gary Payton as a fifteenth guy. But I feel like you know they they uh, they they hit with those, and and now I think that you know you wanted to re-sign Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton, but you end up with DiVincenzo and Jamichael Green. I think Jamichael Green might be able to like actually replicate exactly what Otto Porter Jr. did for us, like almost exactly. That's just that's what my take's gonna be. But wait, I think wait wait, comes- wait 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 wait. You know how big <laughs> Otto Porter is on this podcast. Let's just let's just be clear that he was a hero in the, in the playoffs for us. So you're basically saying Jermichael green is going to be heroic for us in the 2023 playoffs. I don't think Jermichael green is going to score like 10 straight against the Phoenix suns on Christmas, <laughs> but I think, I think Jermichael green can do a lot of what Otto Porter jr. Did. I think Jermichael green can stretch the floor. I think Jermichael green can slot into a, a really good rebounder. And I think he could be even better on defense than Otto was. Cause I don't think Otto was that good of an on-ball defender. Otto was more of a help defense guy. And then just boxing out to oblivion. I think Jamichael's actually a better defender than Otto is. And we'll see. Um, but when it comes to DiVincenzo replacing Gary Payton, DiVincenzo's a better shooter, but he's just never going to be the on-ball defender that GP is. So I'm wondering if, you know, I feel like TK talks a lot about combining players to match one player. I think... Um, mm-hmm. I think he did that when he was talking about like Ubre or something like, what is Ken Bazemore and Juan Descano Anderson? That might make up Ubre or something. He's t- he talks about that sometimes. I'm wondering if DiVincenzo and someone like Moses Moody year two can combine into what Gary Payton provided. Now, I don't think Mo- if Moody becomes an on-ball stopper, like, oh my, that would be insane. But I, I think I think I'm looking more at Moody to to be a passing lanes guy, you know, with the long wingspan. Or maybe it ends up being Ryan Rollins that that steps up and is able to be the on-ball defender because you know we've heard a lot about the wingspan that he has, right? Isn't he like six three or six two with like almost a seven foot wingspan? Like mm-hmm. that stuff helps in defense, you know, having being able to poke it out uh, of of a defender's hands, like GP was so good at because GP has such a long wingspan. So I know we're not talking about GP, but I, I'm looking more at DiVincenzo as a replacement for GP. So I'm just wondering. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to replace him defensively. I think he'll be better offensively for sure. GP was good at the dunker spot, but DiVincenzo is a really good shooter. Um, and I and I think he'll flow in that offense. I think he'll be good for us offensively, but I just want to see what he's going to bring to the table defensively. 
All right. If I was to ask you what you think the best three-point percentage the Big Ragu has ever shot at the NBA level, what's your number? 35? No, it's actually better than that. Nice. Uh, he shot 38%. Perfect. In the 2021 season. Um, and yeah, at almost seven a game, he took and he made, uh, you know, he, we're at the point with, with a lot of these guys where they actually take more threes than twos. And that's definitely his game. Yeah. Um, in the in the per thirty six because he's not he's not a guy who's a starter necessarily or that or, or that he plays a ton of minutes. Uh, actually, you know what? He did start in the twenty twenty one season for Milwaukee. He started. Yeah, yeah. No, there was games. a um, there was a talk around because he had got he went down. And I don't think he was available for the majority of the playoffs, if at all. The playoffs. I'm trying to remember, but there was a talk on like, damn, the Bucks are really gonna miss Divincenzo in his mm-hmm. finals appearance against the Suns. So. You know, I'm. I, I think he's a really good addition. So the the one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is his ability to finish because his last. So if we last year, we'll look at these numbers a little bit differently because there there's some injury stuff involved. But in his best season, which was the the 2021 season where he started 66 games, he shot like I said 38 percent from. Uh, from three point land. Um, he shot 48% from, from two, but he was only taken uh, four a game. So not, not shooting, uh, shooting uh, more threes than twos. But last year, he shot 34% from three, 37% from two. Overall, he shot 35% from the field, and that's in the combined. Milwaukee and Sacramento games. So that is quite the difference there. Now he, he improved big time in free throw shooting last year. So there's a little, he's getting to the line a little bit more, but I don't understand why the finishing percentage of the twos was so low. That's something that we may have to kind of dig through oh, yeah. a little bit. What was his injury? You know, if it's like a knee or like a foot or, you know, maybe finishing at the rim, you know, exploding, having explosiveness could that could be tied to the injury. I feel like you just exposed us for not knowing what his injury was. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I'm, what the injury I'm, was. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, to, but to your point, I don't know how important it will be for him to, to shoot twos, to be honest. Like, I don't know how important the finishing aspect is going to be from. Well, I mean, but you just said GP2, right? GP2 yeah, yeah. was finishing at the rim. Uh, at a high level, which is what also made him value. It does not look like DiVincenzo is going to be that type of player. He's going to be more of a uh, a shooter and uh, you know yeah. from, from deep. So you know we'll we'll see. the The projection for Basketball Reference has him at uh, per thirty six minutes. They have him at uh, seven rebounds a game, fourteen points, four assists. So that is the other thing is that. Even when he wasn't playing a ton, his per 36 for rebounds and assists w- was pretty darn good for a shooting guard. So that so it looks like he's he's a little bit more scrappy when it comes to actually, you know, getting in there and and uh, rebounding and such. Uh, but they also do not project him to shoot as well from the three point line uh, as his his career best is, which is kind of weird because you would think that with the Warriors he'll probably get more open shots, but. 
basketball reference says no. And they're not always right. I think that I think that DiVincenzo is a is a, a Farhan Zaidi project. I think he's like like Otto Porter Jr. <clears throat> Can't play defense. Take, no, I think you take a guy that geez, I think you, you take a guy that you know needs a little bit of bump and a little bit of re- revitalization in mm-hmm. his career. DiVincenzo maybe not as much, but because you know he was drafted in the eight and year, so that wasn't too long ago. But you know, I think that it works with the Warriors because of how the Warriors run their offense. And, you know, Warriors have made guys like Jordan Bell, like uh, who was the center, Damian Jones. Um, I don't know. You look, keep looking down. They made Alfonso McKinney look like an NBA player for, I don't know, 37 games of that one year. Like, I, I think when you play with these guys, especially with Steph and you play the offense and you just buy into the system, something that Kelly Oubre Jr. was not able to do, I think it'll totally benefit him. And I think DiVincenzo is someone who will buy in similar to how Otto Porter Jr. Biden bought in because Otto Porter Jr. was a max guy on the Wizards at some point, you know, mm-hmm. like there, there was big hopes for that guy and then injuries. And then he just really wasn't that kind of guy, that type of player. And then he ends up on the Warriors and he's able to, you know, be a really valuable role player. I think that DiVincenzo is looking to get that going to the Warriors. And I think signing to the Warriors shows that he'll buy in. So the injury that you were talking about in the playoffs was a tendon injury in his left foot, um, which then became a torn ligament in his left ankle. So that is what caused him to miss the playoffs. And then heading into last season, I don't think he played until Christmas, you know, just rehabbing the ankle. Mm -hmm. And there were some issues where, you know, he'd turn an ankle during a game and, you know, there's a little bit of of worry. And then... uh, Stephen Curry arc. Yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) But but it sounds like as of, uh, you know, when he came back, it doesn't look like he had issues anymore. But something just to to keep an eye on. So, you know, whenever Steph starts limping, we all kind of know what happened. And so I'm sure the same thing will happen with DiVincenzo. If he starts limping, everyone's going to go, oh, the ankle, the ankle, the ankle. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him as well because we were naming, we were talking about Jordan Poole last week and how what he does and how he fills in when Steph and Clay are not playing, he all of a sudden becomes the maybe the top scorer if if Steph is off the court. Maybe the top scorer becomes Jordan Poole. If Clay is off the court, Jordan Poole becomes the second most important scorer on the court. With DiVincenzo, it's going to be interesting to see how much he plays with Jordan Poole. Because if he plays a lot with Jordan Poole, they become a small backcourt. Jordan Poole's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. If he plays next to Steph, they're going to be a small backcourt. Steph's going to have the ball a lot. If they play some interesting three guard lineups where, you know, maybe he does get to play with Clay. There's like, I don't know his game enough, and we'll have to see once the preseason starts and we can actually see him on the floor, you know, what he excels at. It's going to be, um, I'm interested to see how they utilize him, what lineups they put him in. Can you play he, Clay, and Steph together? Can you play? He and Jordan together. Like th- those are going to be little interesting things. And then, you know, we haven't even mentioned Moody in this thing because Moody's mm-hmm. sort of built more like the quintessential shooting guard because he's tall and he's big yeah. and he's strong. 
So can you play DiVincenzo and Moody together? And then does that mean DiVincenzo handles the ball a little bit more? Those are the questions. I don't know, but I'm just curious because he adds some depth to the backcourt, but he doesn't add depth in the same way that a, a, a bigger, more sort of traditional shooting guard would. Because what is he? Is he is he 6'3"? I would guess 6'3 or 6'4". Yeah, I think he's 6'3". Three, six four. You're right. Six four. So six four is a little, a little bit bigger. But essentially, you know, he and he and uh, Steph. He's probably an inch and a half taller than Steph, and he's probably an inch shorter than Jordan Poole. So that's kind of where he fits mm-hmm. uh, on the height there. Um, yeah. So next week we'll probably talk a little about a little bit about Jamichael, and then once the season starts, once the preseason starts, hopefully we get enough of. PB and J and uh, Ryan Rollins on on videos, so we can actually see what they look like. Because uh, I don't know if you listen to Plus Minus, but Kawakami yeah. was saying how you know that that's kind of the wild card is you just want to see those guys out on the court. Yeah, um, and, and Plus Minus was almost like a debrief a debrief episode of TK Show with Bob Myers. Yeah, that's that yeah, that's pretty much what it was. And <laughs> the, the Bob Myers that. Now, since you do podcasts, I'm sure you kind of hear the questions or you hear the answers a little bit differently than if you didn't. But Bob Myers, how many times did he say, well, Tim, you would know better than most, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like you like Bob is um, one. He trusts Tim. He's been on Tim's show a bunch of times. He knows that Tim's going to ask him tough questions. They're going to be fair. There's going to be no cheap shots. But Bob, I also sense Bob is kind of this guy who doesn't want to just say, I'm smarter than everybody. This, you know, his his resume backs up how good he is at his job. Yeah. But it's also it's almost like, you know, he seems just like a curious guy. Like, huh, I kind of wonder what Tim thinks about this. I'm interested in in what Tim thinks about this. Tim, you know this team better than anybody else. Well, I, I'm interested in your take. So I found that to be pretty interesting. And he's and he's also like pretty salesman-y. Like, yeah. you know, he's a sports agent. You gotta mm-hmm. be, you gotta be that. That's kind of how I thought when he was like trying to boost up Tim. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is an effort on Myers's part to make Tim comfortable and then the conversation is more to Myers' liking. It's not just, you know, sports reporter, interviewer, digging deep. It's, no, we're, we're two pals. We could do this over a beer. And it's more of a conversation. So it's it's really, it's it's a good tactic by, by Bob. I just, I would just crack up. And I'm sure Tim cracked up every time. You know, inside, Tim probably cracked up. But, uh, you know, the media relationship with, the GMs and with the coaches, like because he's he has Kerr on all the time as well, so they have to enjoy doing it because it's more for the athletic than it is for them personally. Because what does Bob Myers care if the fan base is going to like him or or not? They just they're going to like him based on if the team does well. So yeah, um, yeah, very very interesting though. That 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 made me think a little bit, especially because you got to talk to somebody who yeah. does this for a living. So, um, but yeah, uh, short show for today, which is totally fine because we're kicking into gear next week already. 
like football season just started and we have to start thinking about Warriors basketball like really, really soon, which is nuts. Yeah, maybe doing this at Thursday on Thursdays at 515 immediately when the Thursday football game starts <laughs> might not be, might not be the, the best for live viewers. But it's on Amazon. We'll see how many people are watching on Amazon, because if you don't have Amazon Prime, you can't watch the game unless you're in the local market. Oh, damn. <laughs> See, you didn't even know that. This is what I'm talking about. This is why you need to be reading all of the stuff so you know what's going on. No, actually, the sports business stuff is like the most interesting things that I listen to and I read pretty much every day is just mm. on the sports. Because, you know, the whole Amazon gimmick is Amazon Prime. Everyone's got Amazon Prime now. But you can't just turn it on to your Hulu or your local, you know, your broadcast station. You literally have to go into the Amazon app Interesting. To watch the game. And I don't know about you, but, you know, if I'm watching my team, then I'm not changing the channel at all. But if I'm just watching a random team and the game is boring, I'm going to flip out of there and go watch something else. But you got to stay in that Amazon app. It's not easy to go back in to then get back to the game. Is Sherman a broadcaster or an analyst? Uh, I mean, they're pretty interchangeable these days, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he I know is, he's, I'm he's sure he's, with Amazon, right? Yeah, I'm sure he's an analyst, but I think he does. Well, we'll see. Today's the first game. I think he does like the pregame and the postgame, maybe in the halftime where he's interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's a smart guy. So, yeah. But yeah, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet on Amazon. Mm so we'll see the, the the numbers that they do on that are going to be interesting and not that it necessarily matters, but the NBA, when their TV deal is up, I'm sure they're going to be talking to Apple TV. Yeah. They're going to be talking to Amazon. They're going to be talking to YouTube TV and all of these, all of these tech um, content creating companies, they want a piece like Apple TV's got the, with the Friday night MLB game, yeah. which seems like it's like the that was probably the the, the last pet TV package possible, but they had to get in somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this is going to affect the NBA at some point too. Not saying that you know, in order to watch the NBA, you're going to have to download an app. I I think they will have a cable presence, but there may be more packages that get offered to mm-hmm. a Google or to an an Apple, and then. In order to watch that stuff, you may have to have the app. Like I know you're, you know, you had that league pass thing that turned into a fiasco for you. <laughs> but uh, but imagine instead of being able to watch league pass through the NBA app, Amazon's like or Apple's like, no, we want it through our app, and we're going to pay you more so that we can have it on our app and we can raise our subscriptions. It could be stuff like that. Yeah. So. All right. So. We already talked about what's on the BAM this week for for basketball. You got your your interview there, um, which which is really cool. What about uh, football and baseball pods? Football, uh, you know, they're just releasing after every Monday night football game and covering the week. You should listen because my buddy Eric is just a very funny guy and he's pretty interesting to listen to. Uh, big Raider fan, so he's always just like a saddened guy too. So <laughs> I think it just makes it it just makes the pod better. Uh, baseball. We had a guest on. We talked to someone who's who does the Locked On Orioles show. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was the last baseball podcast that came out. You know, well, we're, so, we're, so are you really? Is that is that going to be your team? You're rooting for the playoffs, or you're just 
aren't the Orioles like out of it now? Like, are they? I don't. I don't know. Because yeah. it was it was between them and the Blue Jays to get that last spot. That was the most realistic. And the Orioles just dropped like two out of three games. The Blue Jays recently, and the Orioles seem to have lost like a ton to the Red Sox, and Blue Jays seem to be rolling. I don't know the, what the record is now, but it was within like four and a half games last time. Ah, that's we talked. a bummer. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, the Orioles are four and a half out of the wild card. They still do have a series, I think, again with the Blue Jays, but they just need to, you know, talking to that guy, I kind of learned their schedule. They need to, like, kill these Red Sox. Like, they had seven games against the Red Sox. I think they have a couple games against the Nationals. They have, like, a, a game against the Yankees. Like, there's some bad teams in there that they could they could try to get it. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, Tampa is actually below Toronto now because Toronto oh, wow. had a pretty good week. Yeah, so... Huh. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And uh, maybe, maybe next week we'll even have a little bit of an NBA 2K review. Mm. I'm not sure I like the gameplay as much as I liked last year's. Everyone's so saying this is like the best one, but I feel like they say that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. The, the controls are a little less responsive. I don't know. Well, we'll I, have, I have to play with it a little bit more, but yeah, maybe we'll have a little bit of a review on uh, 2K next week so all right that's it from here thanks for folks who are listening on the podcast feed subscribe and leave us a review if you can the youtube channel please give us a subscribe on the youtube and you know if you go to the bspn shows twitter at bspn shows i have a uh a uh, a tweet that is pinned that shows all of the communities that we run on Facebook as well. So the this podcast has a community, a Warriors community. The We Want Winners has a 49ers community. Thompson to Clark has a Giants community. So you can join all those groups if you want to support the shows and just talk with like-minded uh, sports fans. All right. So for Bry, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.